0: did not. So good to see you as we come together for another Lord's Day, Um, another opportunity for us to gather, to worship together. Some of you maybe grabbed one of these on your way in. If you did not, that is quite all right. Uh, This is just a a handout for you. We're going to try to give these to you every week. They're just stationed right as you come in the doors here just to kind of help you keep track of announcements and all the pertinent information. Um, So you can grab one of these on your way out. If you have not already, stick that in your Bible. Uh, Maybe just something that you can reference throughout the week. Let me just draw your attention to two or three things by way of announcement. Tonight, we will gather together here in the sanctuary at 5 o'clock. We've been, over the last several months, meeting together the last Sunday night of the month for a time of just corporate prayer together praying through specific areas in the life of our church. Tonight at five here in the sanctuary we'll be praying through our men's and women's ministries specifically and asking the Lord um, just to help us to give us wisdom insight as to what the future of these ministries looks like and so I hope you'll join us at five. Those have been such really encouraging times for me for others and so I hope to see you then. As you make your way out on the tables there are sign-up sheets because Wednesday, May the 10th, Wednesday, May the 10th, as we kind of come to the end of our semester here, we're just going to spend some time together, fellowship, we're going to grill out some hamburgers and dogs and just kind of hang out. So if you would just help us as we try to get an idea of uh, roughly how many people we should be planning for, would you just sign up Um Uh, as you leave today. It doesn't matter if you have not been a regular part of our Wednesday nights. We would still love for you to be here, uh, to be a part of that. So sign up for that. And then uh, last thing by way of announcement that I would say to you is this. um, Many of you are aware, and if you're not aware, uh, throughout the week, we have a weekly preschool um, that serves uh, families, students uh, of this area. Uh, one of the needs that has arisen, just as that ministry continues to grow and expand a bit, one of the, the areas of need that has arisen is that uh, five or six times throughout the year, uh, we invite the parents in for, for various, uh, various things, and we try to host them, uh, which always means feeding them and spending some time with them because of just the pace of the preschool ministry, Nefa, our, our weekly preschool uh, coordinator there, just does not have the, the time to be able to, to kind of do all the things, right? And so we need a handful of people that would say, you know what, five or six times a year, I can help serve on this team that's going to help serve parents and children of our preschool. So that's a need that we have, especially looking forward to next year as we add another class to our preschool, and as that ministry continues to expand. Most of you know who Nepha is. Nepha, raise your hand real quick, though. If you do not know who that is, you need to see that lady right there at the end of the service. I'll let her give you a little more information and um, uh, some info about how you can plug in to that. All right, a lot going on in the life of our dear body. I hope that you are praying through these things, involved in these things. If, if you have questions, please reach out and let us know. All right, let me pray for us. And then we're going to begin our time of worship together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the gathering of your people on this Lord's Day. God, we thank you that we have a reason to gather. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us. And it is worth celebrating this morning. So God, as your people gather, as we sing, God, as we read and hear from your word, God, as we pray. As we give back to you, God, part of what you have first given to us. God, we do it all for your praise and your glory. God, we thank you for Christ and the life that is ours in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.
1: Church family, let's stand as we sing together. Great is Your faithfulness, O God You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart You lead us by still waters into mercy And nothing can keep us apart So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Your grace is enough. Heaven reaching down to us. Your grace is enough. covered in your love, your grace is enough for me. Your are rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on seeing you. A thousand reasons for my heart to find. To so bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh So I'll worship your hope My time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, ten thousand years and then forevermore, forevermore, Press praise the Lord, O my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Yes, I will worship Your holy name. Lord, I worship your holy name.
0: Church family, would you take God's word and join me this morning? Hebrews chapter 11. For our scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, if you are able... Would you remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word? Last week at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, we were encouraged to endure until the very end in that last verse of chapter 10, reminding us that we are not those who will shrink away, but we are of those who have a faith unto perseverance. Perseverance. And so now the author of Hebrews builds on that understanding that the people of God are the people of faith, that we are those who have been made right with God through faith and we are those who live by faith until that day when we see Him by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, we ask and pray as always that God would take this eternal truth and write it upon our hearts. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs of the same promise for he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that, he would, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight." Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned they were sawn into they were tempted they were put to death with the sword they went about in sheepskins and goat skins being destitute afflicted ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground all of these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because god had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Church family, be seated if you would. And let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, from Genesis to Revelation, you declare one glorious truth, that your people are made right with you through faith. Not faith in ourselves, not faith in our best deeds, but faith in your promises fulfilled in Christ. It all hinges upon Jesus. God, even the saints of old, centuries, millennia before the time of Christ, they looked forward in faith, that one day You would send the promised Son. God, that one day, even through their suffering, they would see Your face. Oh, God, give us such faith. For the one in the room this morning that doesn't know Christ give them O oh God would you please the gift of faith so that they might repent and believe this day Father for those in the room whose faith is flickering O oh God would you fan it in the flame God for those that wonder is it all going to really come true like the Bible says. God, give them assurance of that faith. God, for the one in the room who can't see straight because of the suffering, God, give them the faith to see a better day. God, a day... That will surely come. And God when you will reward. Faith. By giving us the ability to see Christ. God may we live for him now. In anticipation of that great and glorious day. We pray this. His name. Amen.
1: Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship. soul with my soul it is well it is well well with my soul and Lord haste the day when my faith sign in the clouds be rolled back as a scroll in the trunks well with my soul church family you may be seated
2: well let's wrap up april with our our verse from acts four so if you have one of these lovely newsletters that you got walking in at the very top of the page is the memory verse for the month so if you haven't memorized you want to follow along there uh grab that and let's recite it and then we will we'll pray okay You ready? Somebody's ready. Here we go. And there is salvation in no other name. No one else. (laughs) Let's do it one more time. I'm sorry. Let's try it again. Here we go. From the top. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4. I'm sorry. So, there is no other name. There is one name given by by which we must be saved. As we just sung, there will be a day where our faith will be sight. There will be a day where we will stand before Those many people that we read of in Hebrews 11, who it is sight for them, they see the risen Christ, and we will one day see him, and it is by him alone by which we must be saved. Is it well with your soul? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you living by faith in him? Therefore, when it is sight, it will be a day of rejoicing and not a day of sorrow for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. Thank You that You have sent Your Son to save us. And there is salvation in Him. There is salvation in Christ. And it is by Him and Him alone that we can be saved. Saved from sin. Saved from death. Saved from ourselves. Saved from the enemy. Saved from all that is coming. God, I thank You that You have sent Your Son to take Your wrath that our sin deserves upon Himself. And that He extinguished it, paid for it, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we, if we are in Your Son, Jesus, we are not condemned. But our sin has been paid for, therefore, that we have hope, we have promise, we have future, we have so much given to us not because we have earned or merited it at all. We must be saved by Him. And so Father, remind us, those that are Yours here today, remind the church, remind Your people that it is by faith that we are saved. And by faith alone in what Jesus has done. That it is by nothing we do. That we we do not earn anything but Your judgment, God. And Father, would You, Lord, remind us and refresh us and fill us, Lord, with the reality of the Gospel, the Gospel of grace. And God, would You call those who are not Yours, those, Lord, here this morning who, who are in their sin, who are, who are darkened in their minds by their sin, that God, You would illuminate by Your Word through Your Spirit, God, their desperate need of Your grace. That they would see in the Son your character and your goodness and your mercy, and that God would be drawn to faith and repentance in Him. That God, they would truly be saved by your grace and given life eternal. So, Father, we thank you for what you have done and who you are. And God, we we look forward to that day where we will see you clearly without shroud. God, without a veil, there is nothing separating. Lord, that we will see you clearly and fully. God, what a day of rejoicing, Lord, that will be. And so, Father, would you be with us, speak to us, God, be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 this morning? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is where we'll be studying God's Word together this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, as we make our way through these Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we come this morning to the sixth of these Beatitudes. Think back with me for just a moment uh, to the life of King David in the Old Testament very early on. In the story of King David, one of the more memorable verses in that story comes in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. You remember that Saul has been rejected as the king and so God has sent the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem and there you will anoint the next king of Israel. And so Samuel is led into Jesse's house and Jesse's sons begin to file in to the room. And we read in verse 6 of that chapter that when Jesse's son Eliab, when he walks in the room, Samuel essentially looks at him and says, Yep, that's the one. He he looks the part, looks like the king. If anybody in this room is going to be the next king of Israel, it's that guy right there. And do you recall what the Lord then says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7? He tells Samuel, that God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It is true all throughout Scripture, with ongoing and increasing emphasis, that God does not look at the outward appearance appearance. And that when God looks at us, what comes into view is not even so much our outward deeds, but what comes into view through the eyes of God is the heart of men and women, boys and girls. And so then when you come to this Sixth beatitude, it is not surprising to us that once again the emphasis would be on the heart of mankind and in particular the hearts of God's people. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 very succinctly tells us, blessed are the pure in heart for They shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why is their condition blessed? For they are the ones who will one day see God. Maybe more than all the other Beatitudes, this sixth one is full of depth. It is full of meaning it is full of glory and beauty, and this is because it drives at our heart and the deepest longing of our heart, which is to see God. In this verse, we are called to a purity of heart, with a beautiful and glorious promise attached to the end that those who are pure in heart will what they will see God their faith shall be sight in this verse then we are coming face to face with a myriad of questions questions like how are sinful hearts made pure How do disciples of Jesus exhibit this kind of purity in heart? What does it mean to actually see God? Especially in light of other passages in Scripture where God tells Moses, no one can see my face and live. Or that moment in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah says, I am a dead man walking for I have seen the Lord of hosts. How how is it possible? In what sense? Do we see this Lord of hosts? Well, in an effort to help us grasp the depth of meaning and application in verse 8, let me drive us, if I can, to one central idea, one central theme. It's there for you on the screens this morning. That true followers of Christ, they have their hearts changed by God. They live their lives for God with the result that they will one day see God as we think about verse 8 I think that's what we're driving at that the true followers the true disciples of Jesus they first and foremost have their hearts changed by God as a response to that they live their lives for God with the with the the looming reality being that they will one day see God so let's dive in together to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. That that word pure is not a difficult word. It's not complicated. It's not too much for us to understand. You, in fact, already know what this means. It means to be clean. It it means to be clear. It, It means to be rid of any impurities or defilements. So it's been cleansed. It's been washed. There is no stain. There is no defilement of any kind upon the pure in heart. And immediately, in reading that phrase at the beginning of verse 8, a question arises in our minds. And the question goes something like this, who among us has a completely clean and clear heart? Whose heart is clean and cleansed And that when God looks into it, he sees no impurity or defilement. It's a pressing question and one that is so essential to understanding rightly the text before us. Let's look at a couple places in the Psalms. Would you turn back to Psalm 15 with me for a moment? Psalm chapter 15. And. You might want to also slide a finger into Psalm 24 and just hold your place there as well. A couple of psalms here. Here's the question that's being asked in these two psalms. Who is it that may dwell in God's presence? So in these two psalms, that's essentially the question that is being asked. Who is it that may dwell in God's presence? Present. Psalm 15, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Here's the answer He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Who among us has completely fulfilled and done all the things that psalm 15 says must be true of the one who would ascend and dwell in god's presence on god's holy hill just start with the very first one in verse 2 he who walks with integrity perfectly all, all the time will never be shaken Who among us has completely fulfilled that? Turn to Psalm 24, verse 3. Psalm 24, verse 3 Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Who may go up and dwell in God's presence, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Beloved, if we look carefully and closely enough, we will find that all of our hands are stained with sin. All of our hearts have a measure of impurity upon them. Who who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who does these things. And then you fast forward back to our beatitude this morning. Blessed are The pure in hearts. And we're left to ask, who who among us is completely clean and clear of all of sin's defilement and impurity? Beloved, the, the answer is none of us. The answer is no one that has ever lived on this planet save the Lord Jesus Christ has a completely pure heart. So then, how do we get to a place Where verse 8, and this beatitude becomes true of my life. Well church, the reality is that in order for this to become true of our lives, we must first have a spiritual heart transplant, if you will. Something must be done To and in our hearts, so as to bring us from a place of impurity to purity, of defilement to cleansed. And nowhere do we see a more clear picture of this than in Ezekiel chapter 36. Would you turn there with me as well? Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 25. How do we become those? Who are pure in heart? Is that something that you and I can generate in ourselves today? Is that something that if we just do enough good, check enough boxes, that we will cleanse our own hearts? Beloved, the reality is that the answer to that question is always no. Because sinful hearts, as we'll think about in a moment, cannot produce uh, good righteous deeds that would somehow then make us right with God so how do we get to a place of purity of hearts Ezekiel 36 starting in verse 25 then God speaking to a promise to his people then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. And you will be careful to observe My ordinances. How do we get to Matthew 5.8? Blessed are the pure in hearts. Beloved, we can only get to that place if God first, by His grace and by His mercy and by His kindness and love toward us, takes our cold, dead heart of stone takes that out of our spiritual body if you will and then replaces it with a warm alive and beating heart of flesh that now loves him and desires to live for him it begins here and it begins with this call and understanding this morning That if you are here today, and you are not in Christ Jesus, your heart remains a spiritually dead heart of stone. And it is only the mercy of God in Christ that can turn that to a heart of flesh. And so it is incumbent then upon every single person in the room. That if we want to rightly understand what it means to be pure in heart and then to have that promise that we will one day see God, friends, it must be that you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. There is no other way. There is no other name. There is no other Savior. How do we... Come pure in heart, God must cleanse it. You will never be able to cleanse it on your own. Your presence here this morning doesn't do that. Offering uh, to the church doesn't do that. Even if somehow your good outweighed your bad over the next seven days, it still would not be enough. Only God can cleanse the defilement of sin and He has done that through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's ask another question though regarding verse 8. Regarding verse 8, why is there such an emphasis then on the heart? Why in verse 8, why in all of Scripture is the emphasis there? Why not on something like blessed are the pure indeed in action? Why does Scripture repeatedly call us to purity of hearts? Let me give us two reasons why there's an emphasis on the heart. In all of Scripture here in verse 8. Number one. Because who you and I are in our hearts, that is who we truly are. Who we are in the hidden and secret place of our heart, in our soul, that is who we truly are. Remember, God, First Samuel 16, verse 7, God does not look at the outward appearance, but He looks where? He looks at the heart. Because what God knows is that in the heart is revealed who the man or the woman truly is. Psalm chapter 51, verse 6, behold, you, speaking to God, you desire truth in the innermost being. So then David would ask God in response in Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Remember with me for just a moment, all of the warnings in Scripture that come to the people because of their wayward hearts isaiah 29 and verse 13 god says about his people this people they draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service but they remove their hearts far from me god does not care in that moment what they are saying with their lips why Because in the essence of their being, they have removed their hearts far away from Him. Turn to Matthew chapter 23, just a few pages over. This is in the context of uh, the final days of of Christ. And He's got a face-to-face here with the hypocritical Pharisees. Watch His language in Matthew 23, starting in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Who we are in our hearts is who we are. What we think and say and give our affections to in our heart, that is who we are. That's who we are. And Jesus addresses that most strikingly in that text with the Pharisees. But secondly, there's an emphasis on the heart because everything that we do And everything that we say proceeds from where? It proceeds from the heart. So then, ultimately what this means is that my greatest problem is not here at the end of my fingers where the action takes place. The problem originates where? It originates in the root of my life which is my heart your heart is the root if you will that feeds the rest of your life and all of your actions so then proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life Jesus again, Matthew 12, verse 34, to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. One more, turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Maybe the most clear instruction that we see on this in Scripture. Mark chapter 7, verse 14 why the emphasis on purity of heart? because everything that we do or say proceeds from the heart mark chapter 7 verse 14 then he called the crowd to him again he began saying to them listen to me all of you and understand there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man. That is what defiles the man. For, from within, out of the heart, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within. And what do they do? They defile the heart of man. Our greatest problem is not ultimately in our outward sinful behavior. Our greatest problem is ultimately in our sinful hearts. Because everything that we think, do, Every action proceeds from the heart. That's why there is an emphasis here and a calling for you and I, beloved, to look into the mirror of God's Word, which reveals not just what we look like on the outside, but the mirror of God's Word images what? Our hearts. And it's incumbent that we look into the Word of God to see what's going on in our hearts. We would be cleansed in our hearts. It is the Word of God that will do that. There's a practical aspect of this that I want us to consider as well. So remember again, our central idea that true followers of Christ, they have their hearts changed by God. But then secondly, we're saying what? That they also then live their lives for God. To be sure, it is God who must ultimately cleanse and purify our heart, giving us a heart of flesh from that heart of stone. But now, church, now that you are born again, And that's the language that Jesus is using, you recall, in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3 with Nicodemus. Unless a man be born again, born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so, now that you are born again, church, what does purity of heart begin to practically look like? It's not merely a theological reality that we talk about. There are practical aspects of this as well. Let me mention three. Three practical realities of the One who is pure in heart. Three practical realities of the One who is pure in heart. Number one, the pure in heart will be undivided in its loyalty to God. There will be an undivided loyalty to God in the heart that has been made pure. The pure in heart. They exhibit a single-minded devotion to God that stems from the internal cleansing created by following the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, and with all your soul and with all your might. To be pure in heart, it means that you will have an undivided devotion to and an undivided love for God and the things of God you will not try to be a friend of God and at the same time a friend of the world James chapter 4 and verse 4 you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The pure in heart. Because they know that one day they will see God. One day in the future, they will see God Now, in this life, they will have an eye for the things of God alone. They will not seek to be divided in their affections and desires. One cannot love and live for the world in this life and then one day in judgment, stand before God and say, hey God, I'm all in with You and and all of this heaven stuff. I'm all in with You right now. It doesn't work that way. Those who have divided loyalties to God in this life will not see His face in the next. So we're asking our hearts this morning, Where are my loyalties? In what place do they lie? Am I trying to keep a feet or one foot in in both worlds? Pleasures of the world, the things of God, beloved, it it doesn't work that way. You're going to love the one or hate the other. You're going to be a friend of the one and an enemy of the other. The pure in heart, have an undivided loyalty to the things of God. Secondly, a practical reality of those who are pure in heart is that they completely and without reservation believe God's Word. They completely and without reservation believe God's Word. Now, this does not mean that you will always understand everything in God's Word. there, There are depths in which we can swim in God's Word. And it may be that there are various aspects of the nature of God or the work of God that we cannot fully grasp. But those who are pure in heart will, without reservation, they will believe that God's Word is just that. It is the very Word of God. Over and over in Scripture, it makes abundantly clear that there is no distinction between God, His nature, and His ways, and the Word of God, its nature, and its ways. If we say that we are those who are pure in heart, it means that we will without reservation believe that God's Word is inspired by God. That God has breathed Himself into His Word and therefore His Word is holy. It is eternal. It is right. It is true. You will believe that God's Word is eternally unchanging and it is true with no mixture of error. You will believe that when Scripture speaks, that's God speaking. You will believe that God's Word sets the standard by which all Christians everywhere are called to obey. You will believe that you do not change God's word but it is God's word that changes you. You will as 1st Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 says, you will hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. One cannot play fast and loose with the word of God and expect to be numbered among the pure in hearts. For God's word is truth. It is the standard by which all other claims of truth are measured and weighed. And if we say we have faith in God and we are the disciples of Christ who are pure in heart, then we will have, without reservation, even if we can't fully wrap our brains around it all, without reservation, we will believe That this is what God says it is. And then thirdly, the third practical reality for the pure in heart is that the pure in heart will absolutely fight against sin. Pure in heart. You've been made clean by God's grace and mercy in Christ. And now as the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ you will delight and desire to fight against sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure Your heart has been made pure. What does that mean that we're going to do? It means that we're going to continually fight for that purity. We're going to remember that God is holy, that He has made us holy, and we are going to seek to live out practically that holiness. Because those who have had their hearts turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, they do not want to go back to that dead, lifeless existence. Those who have been brought into the light do not want to go back into the darkness. Those who have been freed from sin will fight against sin sin the pure in heart fight against sin from a desire to practically be what god has already positionally made them which is holy the pure in heart will fight against sin because it glorifies and pleases god the pure in hearts have been made pure and they continually fight For holiness and purity in their lives. A.T. Robertson said this that sin befogs and beclouds the heart so that one cannot see God. So then, beloved, we must be fighting against sin, pursuing righteousness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Listen. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. No one who does not fight against sin here below will see God there above. What is true for Christians and the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we will wage warfare. Against our sin. We will take the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and we will hack our sin to death. We do not encourage sin. We kill it. We do not foster it. We do not hold on to it. We seek to destroy it. True followers of Christ, they have their hearts changed by God. They live their lives for God with the result, in the verse 8, that they will what? They will see God. Talk about things that you just can't fully wrap your brain around. The people of God have this beautiful, weighty, and glorious promise that we will see God. In what sense will we see God? What is that, how does that work? Well, there's a sense where our very salvation is seeing God. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There's a sense that our very salvation is a seeing of God. Secondly, there's a sense where if one has seen Jesus Christ, they have seen God. John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Obviously, Jesus is not here physically walking around with us, but as we see Him in His Word, we see whom? We see the Father. But thirdly, and most gloriously, the greatest fulfillment of what it means to see God, beloved, that day is still future for us. But that day is certain for the pure in heart. One day, church, God is going to finish The work in you that He began. And on that day, you will see God. One day, in the new creation of Revelation 21 and verse 23, the glory of God will illuminate the new Jerusalem and we will see God. One day, dear saints, 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 is going to become a reality and on that day we will see God. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me, Be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Church, the great end of your relationship with Jesus is to behold Him one day and see God. The great end of your relationship of salvation is not merely that you escape hell. The great end of our salvation is not merely that we get to glory and we see the the saints that have gone before us. The great end of our salvation is better than mansions and streets of gold because the great end of our salvation is Jesus. And on that great and glorious day, we will see God. That, beloved, is how... Verse 8 comes into focus for us. Church, today you see by faith. One day you will see by sight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Revelation 22 and verse 4, And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Church, when you see Jesus face to face. Every struggle and fight against sin and for holiness in your life is going to be worth it. I promise. When you see him face to face, every act of practical purity will be rewarded. When you See Him face to face. Whatever you denied your flesh in this life will be more than repaid in that moment. A pure in hearts will see God. The poem says, When I in righteousness at last Thy glorious face shall see When all the weary night is past and I awake with thee to view the glories that abide, then, then shall I be satisfied. Have you come to Christ today? Are you satisfied in Him? Has your heart been made clean? Fighting against sin? Are you holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? Is your hope ultimately in that you will see God? How do we need to respond to this sixth beatitude this morning? Let's pray together. God, what a weighty and full a beautiful Beatitude is before us. So God, for the one in the room that doesn't know you. Their hearts have not been cleansed from sin. Oh God, would you move and work? God, for the Christian in the room, God, help them to fight against sin and for practical purity in their lives. God, help us to be what you have called and made us to be. God would you set before us glorious and beautiful reality that one day the pure in heart will see God and all of us who are in Christ, we fix our hope there, God for the one in the room that's they're just struggling in the fight against sin and they're they're discouraged and they feel like that's a, that's a pointless endeavor. God, would you put before them the beautiful promise of what awaits and God, that that would be the catalyst in helping to renew their fight against sin. God, the text is weighty, it's full and God, we will continue to meditate on this. And God, by Your Spirit, apply these things to our hearts. So Lord, as we sing in response, God, would Your Spirit begin that work now? Carry it on in the hours and in the days to come. As we close in song, God, may it be the resounding hope and glory God of the church. I thank You that You have, in Christ, given us a heart of flesh, removed the heart of stone. Oh, God, help us now to live for You. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.